Welcome to this Off week's All right. Great way to start the show, Church. Take two. Welcome to this week's episode of So What's the Catch? May the 4th, or may the 4th be with you, because happy Star Wars Day. Um, how are you guys doing? Fantastic. Doing festive and doing bummed at the same time. All right. So we, we're starting off today with, you know, NFL draft stuff, because... That took place over the weekend. Um, <laughs> Browns, well, I don't know how to assess the Browns draft. It's, Is that you asking us what? how do we assess it? Correct. Okay. That's a roundabout way of doing it. Okay. I mean, I guess I'll go because I'm talking. Um, <laughs> yeah, I don't know. It's like a – I give it like a B plus, a B, but yeah. that's the – like the drafts, it's like really if I had to give it anything, it'd be a question mark because you just you never know, you know, especially when you don't have a pick in the first round. There's a, a lot of things that can go, you know, either way with a lot of those guys. I think they filled a lot of needs, and that's good. You know, I think that their strategy was right, but do I know if any of these guys is going to be good? No, I don't have a fucking clue. <laughs> Sounds about right. What was your assessment, James? About the same. Well, the thing to remember about this particular draft is it's it's not a deep draft, okay? There's not the marquee blue chip players at the top of it where there's a consensus number one. Hell, we didn't know who that number one pick was going to be until it happened. And then, you know, it kind of went off the rails starting at pick three. And so this reminded me a lot of the 2013 draft, which was just awful. Ooh. And, you know, there, you found a lot of guys later in the draft. You found depth guys, role players, but no real stars. And so when you consider that, then you add in the, what the Browns need, where they need help, and the positions they address, they, they made the right moves. I mean, they needed another corner. They traded away Troy Hill. So Troy Hill's gone now, okay? And so you slide him into the spot where you have – Probably Greedy Williams at because, you know, guess what? Greedy Williams in the last year of his deal, and he's far from a, a known quantity. You know what I mean? Like, sure, he played pretty decent last year, but you know what? He still is hurt a ton, okay? Mm-hmm. So that's something you got to remind yourselves with. So if they're thinking succession plan going from Greedy Williams to Martin Emerson, then fantastic. Mm-hmm. I mean mm-hmm. – you look at the defensive line, they need a defensive line help. So, you know, going out and getting Alex Wright also in round three, that's an excellent move, okay, because they acquired Chase Winovich from the Patriots. Uh, Jadavian Clowney is an option still, but guess who's still not signed? Jadavian Clowney. You know, so you, you got to set yourself up so you're not left, you know, just sitting there with your hands in your pockets if Clowney signs somewhere else. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? And you keep going. And I think David Bell is probably one of the better picks of this draft that was made, considering we've seen him produce. Like, sure, he has some similar issues that Donovan Peoples-Jones had coming out of college. Doesn't have a ton of breakaway speed, relies on his physicality more than his actual abilities. But he's a nice number two receiver moving forward. So, you know, when they get rid of Amari Cooper in a year, you have your number two (laughs) Yeah. You know what I mean? Um, the, the most, I guess, controversial pick is Kate York, the kicker. 
because you know, I, I like that too. pick. I like the pick too because guess what? You you need a kicker. You, yeah. you're, you're you're in the division with two of the best kickers in football. Okay, yeah. and you didn't have one. And you, you play in a stadium where kicking is very important. Yeah, and you know, good thing right out the gate. Cade York's like, I'm going to talk to Phil Dawson about kicking in the Brown Stadium because that dude's the only guy who's been successful at it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. tough to do. Um, real quick, Turk, before you, you give your assessment, um, I think it's important to remember, too, that part of that day three haul was Amari Cooper. You know, mm-hmm. um, They needed to fill a, ro- a role at wide receiver, and I think that this was a very top-heavy draft at wide receiver. Um, I really like the pick of David Bell. I think we got a, a good value pick at receiver there. But like, let's be honest, we weren't getting like a star game changing number one receiver unless we were in the top half of the first round. And, and you probably and, weren't going to get one there anyways. Right. And, you know, there's a couple that were really nice that would have fit in well. But so all things considered for us to to get Amari Cooper for a day three pick, I mean, Great move by AB there. Um, so, yeah, I'm going to toss that in. And part of the reason why I threw the plus in there with my B grade. Fair enough. What you got, Chirk? Uh, yeah, I, I like the draft overall. It got a lot, a lot of our needs met, like wide receivers. That was, like, one of our biggest needs. And uh, the kicker. Mm-hmm. So the only yeah. thing about Cade York that concerns me, I don't have a problem with drafting a kicker at all. And he's a young dude. Yeah, but the only thing that concerns me is his his worst range in his career is the 40 to 49-yard range. I think he's 11 for 17. I, I had it up and I lost it. Um, but that's that's where NFL kicks are made. Like That's where games are won in that 40 to 49-yard range. Um, so you want to see him get better there. That's the only thing that concerns me. We know he can kick bombs. We saw him hit a 57-yard game winner. So, and then that had 10, 10 more yards in it. That flew like halfway up the uprights. Like he had room for 10 more yards on that thing. So the dude's got a monster leg. But like you said, kicking in Cleveland is not easy. Um, yeah, the, last, the last good kicker was uh, Phil Dawson. It was Phil Dawson in 2012. Okay, so it's been a decade since he's had a kicker that we can you know rely upon. Uh, I mean, right. shit. They, they tried out uh, Cody Parkey twice, okay? Uh, Billy Cundiff was in the mix, if you remember him, mm-hmm. at one point. Yes. Oh, I think yeah. he was in the mix twice, too, for, 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 if I remember correctly. But you brought up the 40 to 49 range. Uh, for what it's worth, Chase McLaughlin last year, 410 in that range. Yeah, yeah so it's so. an upgrade already. Yeah. Um, from my assessment – I agree with you, Brian, that getting Amari Cooper for a day three pick was a good value. But I personally don't see him as a number one wide receiver. I think think of him num- more as a number two. So I would have loved it if somehow the Browns could have used whatever capital they had to maybe not get into the high part of the first round, but maybe get into the 20 to 32 range and draft a wide receiver that they could possibly turn into a number one. Well, none of those guys there were number one wide receivers in that 20 to 32 range for what it's worth. If you're going to get a a top receiver, you're going to have to get into the top 10 and that's simply what's going to happen. I mean, look who went in the top 10, Drake London, Garrett Wilson, Chris Olave was number 11. Jameson Williams was 12. Okay, like 
After that, none of those guys are number one wide receivers. They all have some sort of blemish uh, of sorts, whether it's size, speed, or technical ability. Yeah. Okay. Or, or maybe they're not even a number one wide receiver. Maybe they're not next. Maybe they're a slot guy. Maybe they're an inside receiver. So you, you got to think about that as well. Like there was zero chance that they were going to get into the top 10 to yeah. get one of the guys considered to be a, a number one wide receiver. And some of these guys that went that high aren't even that. Drake London's a glorified slot receiver. Okay. That's fantastic. But uh, like the Falcons, I don't know what their offensive game plan is. Because uh, they have a tight end who's a wide receiver. They just drafted a slot guy, and they have nobody on the outside. Uh, so interesting theory, interesting strategy. Uh, it's not going to work. So best of luck, Marcus Mariota. But uh, Garrett Wilson, Chris Olave are really the only guys that would have been outside guys, and there's no chance they would have got either guy. Yeah, No. also worth noting, Josh, no wide receivers went from that range that you mentioned. 19 to 32, no wide receivers. So they, they already were gone. They were off the board. And that's why I was saying like the Drake Bell pick, even though he's not a number one guy, you know, that's, it's great value. That's about as good as they're going to get. Cause they did not have a package to put together to get up into that top 10 range. That's a fair argument. Maybe they could have put a packet. Washington ended up getting Jahan Dodson at 16. So, cause they traded down with new Orleans. So maybe we could have gotten into that top into that 16th pick to possibly draft. No, there's no chance they would have got there. The, their their pick was so far. They picked 44 before they traded it. Yeah. Like 44 to 16, you would have to – they don't have the capital to get up there. How many times did I say that last week? We don't have the capital. Just let it go. It's not – Yeah, I mean, because let's, let's be honest here. I mean, they don't have a first-round pick next year or the year after either. So the, the picks required to move up to 16, you don't have. Houston has them. Yeah. Oh, real quick, the one guarantee I gave for the draft, the Browns didn't trade up into the first round. So I was one for one yeah. on draft night. You were. <laughs> that was the only pick I was willing to make because there's so many <laughs> question marks. <laughs> yeah, it's just not a typical draft. The, the no. 13 draft is a very good comparison, I think, James. I, I think that 10 years from now we'll look back on this draft class as a very forgettable one. I mean, you're always going to have your diamonds in the rough. Like, there's going to be a second or third round player that'll end up being an All Pro. Mm -hmm. um, but I think altogether, this was just not a very sterling draft. So, no, it's it, that's why you kept seeing teams trade back. They weren't, they weren't willing to commit high amounts of dollar figures over five, four or five years to these players. That's mm -hmm. why you didn't see a, a whole bunch of trade ups uh, to get quarterbacks. You know what I mean? You you saw the way that the the quarterback market you know, filled and, you know, kind of fall, fell into order in this draft. And people weren't trying to get up there. They've seen the mistakes people have made before. Everyone remembers Christian Ponder, okay? Mm -hmm. You know, that draft was a disaster. Everyone remembers that. Yeah. The quarterback class is very similar to that one, and the way the draft sorted out is very similar to 2013, okay? Yeah. These quarterbacks aren't special. Nobody thinks that they're particularly good. But, you know, if, if, from what it's worth – uh, we'll get into them a little bit later. Uh, teams were willing to draft these quarterbacks that nobody are high on over trading for Baker Mayfield. So yeah. read into that. You, uh, yeah. 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 I think people just really don't like Baker. We'll get into Baker a little bit, a little bit later. Cause there's some more Baker stuff on the, on the show sheet here, but I just wanted to make that, that point right there. Yeah. That corral over Baker Mayfield. 
Yeah, that's an important distinction to make. Like teams were willing to take a, a basically a complete guess on a guy, uh, then bring in what they know about Baker Mayfield. And the Seahawks, for that matter, they didn't even draft a quarterback. So they were pretty much saying, yeah, we're fine with Geno Smith and Drew Locke. That's pretty damning. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's very damning because neither one of those guys are going to blow anybody away. No. Those are backups, so. Anyway, so who do you think were the like biggest risers? Risers, fallers, surprises of the draft? Uh, Derek Stingley uh, Jr. going third to Houston because Houston is Houston. Mm-hmm. Uh, I pegged them to pick a corner at three. I thought it was going to be Sauce Gardner. Okay. But I don't think anyone saw him going that high. I think uh, the same also applies for Cole Strange at 29. That, Yeah, a lot of people are talking about that one. That feels like such a Bill Belichick type of draft pick, though. It, like, it's, the, it's the 29th pick. It's a, it's a guard. They need a guard. Call it a day. Like, I, I, there's so much criticism coming for this for no reason. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, you know, there was the, the clip of Sean McVay and the other uh, – the GM of the Rams, I can't remember his name, uh, laughing about the pick. I'm like, it, cool, you won one Super Bowl, bud. You got six more to go to super <laughs> to surpass Bill Belichick. And, and that's just the ones he won as a head coach, not all the ones he has an as, as an assistant, okay? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Right. So, yeah. Let's calm down. My surprise was uh, Drake London. I thought he was going to go like 15 or something, not eighth. Yeah, that seemed like a, a, I don't want to say overdraft or reach because this, I really don't believe in those terms in this particular draft because of everyone being very close together. Um, everything just kind of being weird. But I did not think Drake London was going to be the first receiver off the board. <laughs> yeah, I thought uh, Jahan Dotson – going in front of Traylon Burks was ridiculous. It was a choice. Yeah, I I, I, uh, I didn't like that at all. Um, so that would be the biggest surprise for me would be Jahan Dotson going 16 um, and Burks being taken after him because I thought Burks was a much better receiver. Uh, Traylon Burks is going to be just a, a nice little uh, move from A.J. Brown to Traylon Burks in Tennessee. Yeah. He's an age. I mean, when you look at like NFL players to compare Traylon Burks to AJ Brown, so yeah, it's like they're going from one version of him to a younger, cheaper version of yeah. him. So I, I really loved that pick by Tennessee. I thought that yeah. was a great pick. I did not understand what they were doing though by trading AJ Brown. Like I knew it's because of the new wide receiver market. I get it, but it's like he's your one. Like, known wide receiver. And you're just going to deal with it. Like. Well, that's the cost. That's the, that's what comes with the cost of paying your quarterback a lot of money. Okay. Yeah. Part of yeah. what happens when you give Ryan Tannehill a lot of money for some bizarre reason, uh, you end up having to cut costs elsewhere, which is why A.J. Brown's not there anymore. He, you, yeah. you want to get mad about choosing Traylon Burks over A.J. Brown? Don't don't get mad about that. They chose Ryan Tannehill over A.J. Brown. That's what this is. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I agree. Yeah, with I you. agree. I I think they're they're giving. Uh, well, I think that the pick they made later um, by taking a quarterback said that they they might be thinking about moving on from Tannehill's contract in the future. 
Um, because ideally, like you take, you know, you take that quarterback hoping that he beats out the guy you have, or you don't draft a quarterback there. So it's like they, they, they shot themselves in the foot with that contract. And now they're kind of, they're just making do how they have to. And I think by taking a guy who fits the mold of AJ Brown and plugging him right in was like the a really affordable option for them. And that's why they ended up doing it. So. Yeah. I would say so the AJ Brown trade and also the Packers not drafting a wide receiver. Like, what are you doing, Green Bay? Like, I get it. You need to bolster up your defense. But at the same time, like, you gave Aaron Rodgers a three year contract, but are we sure he's going to play all three years? Like, we, I feel like we don't know that. So, like, why would you not break your own mold or trend, whatever you, whatever word you want to use? Take a wide receiver, give Aaron Rodgers, Aaron Rodgers the weapons, so that you can continue to be a player in the NFC and possibly make the Super Bowl. Okay, well, they did take a, a wide receiver at 34, so right after round one was over. And again, all of the receivers they could have taken at 22 are meh. So yeah. I know that the Packers got a ton of flack for not taking a receiver or a skill position player at 22 and 28. But here's the deal. At some point in time, Aaron Rodgers ain't going to be there anymore, and that defense is going to have to do something. Okay? Yeah. Uh, just been coasting on not being terrible for, I don't know, 30 years now. I mean um, – no, I mean, you don't know what Jordan Love knows. Went between that 32 pick and there, so they didn't miss out on a single guy. That's why they yeah. didn't take a wide receiver up there. And it's the same theory that we were talking about earlier. It just wasn't a deep enough class, you know. And so they knew bottom of that round that you know you're going to get a much better value on taking a defensive guy than you would for a wide receiver that probably doesn't belong in the first round to begin with. And they watched every other team go before them in between those picks, and none of them took their guy. So, in a way, I thought that it was almost an impressive draft, in a way, for the, the Packers because nope, they didn't lose their guy. You know, from twenty-two to where they they took their wide receiver, you know, they got him. So, yeah. What's the real the real difference between taking Christian Watson at twenty-two or twenty-eight versus thirty-four? I mean. Who cares? They're all similar level players at that point. Once you get from pick probably 15 to probably about 45, all the guys are relatively the same skill level. Um, Contract's going to be a lot different taking them down there too. So they're going to get them at a better price by by taking them down there instead of taking them where they did. And wide receiver is showing that it's becoming the second highest paid position in the game. So it's like when you know that that's the market on wide receivers, like, if you can get a guy later in the draft, you know, get, that's great. So, yeah, yeah I, I was okay with the move by Green Bay. Like, I, it, it, if they had a higher draft pick, then sure. If they could have got a Garrett Wilson or a Chris Olave, then sure. But they weren't going to. No, there was no chance they were getting either one of those guys. And so th- this pick's fine. This pick works, especially the way this draft, you know, filled out. And I know there's lots of hand wringing that goes on. And, and when it comes around draft time with first round and having that fifth year option that you can pick up, but like those fifth year options are like super expensive. And, yeah. and so with the way that receivers are being dealt with a year on their contract left, draft the second round guy, draft him with a year left, get some ridiculous package that involves a first round pick and multiple other picks and draft another wide receiver 
if you got a quarterback, you're paying a ton of money to. Right. Fair. And that guy they took at 22, Quay Walker, I think is going to be a stud. So, you know, you're not going to get him down where they took, uh, where they ended up taking their receiver. So, you you know, you got to decide, you know, which which has the better value. And I think taking Quay Walker uh, is much better value at 22. Um, it's probably the best linebacker they've had since Clay Matthews. What about A.J. Hawk, bro? Yeah. All-time leading tackler. Show some respect. A.J. Hawk was underrated, and I think he was – I mean, he was uh, he was one of the most underrated running or linebackers of all time. But, you know, I'm, I'm glad you mentioned uh, both A.J. Hawk and uh, Clay Matthews right there But because the last time they went to a Super Bowl and probably won a Super Bowl, their defense – had those two in addition to B.J. Raji up the middle. What did they do? They drafted a linebacker and a defensive tackle. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Those are two very impactful positions. This, it, having a good defensive tackle who can create that interior pass rush, who can force the quarterback off his mark, that's such a valuable asset to have. I mean, look at the Rams' defense when they have Aaron Donald. Now, I don't – very little about Devontae Wyatt. I'm not trying to compare him to Aaron Donald. But the amount of impact that he has just by himself – is that's that's so valuable for every team that yeah. has a player like that that can generate yeah. that interior pass rush. Yeah, that's fair. And then my other surprise would be what Baltimore did trading Marquise Brown, and then I don't, and then they go out and do typical Ravens stuff: get Kyle Hamilton, take Tyler Linderbaum. Don't draft a skill position player because the last couple of times it hasn't quite worked out for them. Made sense for the Ravens, but it was surprising for me at the same time. I thought they had I think they had a really good draft too. Uh, the thing with the Ravens, you have to remember, is they have to do the same thing that you know that the Titans are doing with the receiver position. I mean, they previously spent draft capital on Rashad Bateman and Devin Duvernay. Okay. Like, those guys are going to have to pull up the slack for a little bit. You know, they still also have Benjamin Victor. They signed four undrafted free agent wide receivers. Four. Yeah. Okay? So, like, they're trying to do something to fix the position, but I think they realized that, yeah, uh, we really like Hollywood Brown, but the team is probably going to perform about the same level offensively with or without Hollywood Brown. Yeah. yeah. Lamar Jackson's not a guy who's going to throw it 40 times a game, you know, like there's still a run heavy team. Like, so that's another thing you have to remember too. Like, you know, do you want to pay a guy that much money if he's not going to be used in the type of offense where he's going to get a hundred catches, you know what I mean? So it's an interesting position for them to build around for that reason. Cause Lamar's not, he's not a gunslinger. You know what I mean? He could sling it. I'm not saying he can't sling it. But, like, you know, they ideally want him in the, the 15 to 30 attempts range, more so than they want to see him throw it 35 to 50, like some of these guys. Yeah. that No, that's what I'm saying. Like, they were surprising to me, but it made sense at the same time because I think they realized they're not a pass-first team. Like you said, Brian, they're a run-first team. So they're just like, why do we need a high-profile wide receiver when we're not going to throw it that much? Like, yeah, the, the only pick I had a problem with was them taking a punter before the punt god. Punt that, that was that was your problem. Your problem wasn't Kyle Hamilton, fourteenth overall. Uh, I mean, I'm not crazy about that one either. But uh, they drafted the it. 
they drafted an in-the-box safety, 14th overall in 2022. Do you know what position has little value in 2022? In-the-box safety. Mm, that's a good point. It's a really good, good point. point. I mean, look how terrible Jamal Adams has been in Seattle. He's been yeah. awful. Yeah, he really has. That's a, Is it, the Ravens yeah. just signed up for a player that does what Jamal Adams does? Mm-hmm. It's interesting that you bring up Jamal Adams. His former team, the Jets, I would say, had a fantastic draft. I mean, yeah, maybe I they, like maybe they did. I mean, we, we really won't know till three, four years down the line, but – uh, I do like the picks that they made. I mean, mm-hmm. you look, they did get Sauce Gardner. They did get Garrett Wilson. They did get Jeremy Ruckert, a very underrated tight end in the third round. They also trade back into the first round and got Jermaine Johnson, who's a very skilled defensive player. Yeah. I mean, the, the Jets, I think, added – I think a lot of people like the Jets draft because they had three first-round draft picks. Okay. If, if yeah. they took Jermaine Johnson 33rd overall versus 26th overall, I don't think people are raving as much. Yeah. Well, a lot of people had Sauce being the number one cornerback. They got him. A lot of people had Garrett Wilson being the number one receiver. They got him. And, you know, a lot of people thought very highly of Jermaine Johnson, too. So, you know, they, a lot of people are looking at this and going, like, did they get the best, you know, the best player at each of those positions? Um, but, yeah, I, I, at the end of the day, I don't think we'll, we'll know for a couple years because um, they, they didn't have a ton of picks either. You know, I think they just yeah. had standard seven picks. Yeah, they had seven picks. They just all came in the first four rounds. Yeah, so oh, it's I a mean, very yeah. top-heavy draft. So by by that nature, it's it stands out. It's like, oh, these guys can play. And can we talk schematically for a second? Because you know, you know what defense um, they had Sauce Gardner running a lot of at Cincinnati. He's running a ton of man-to-man coverage. Yeah, you know what the Jets run a ton of cover three zone. Okay, yeah. so how is that going to work? Yeah, how is that going to work? They're, they're going to have to make some adjustments. I mean, if he's shockingly versatile, maybe it could work. Maybe, but you know, you look at the Jets, you look at the coaching staff, he has his system. He was hired because of what he does in his system. We're familiar with him. We run the same one. Um, Yeah. It's a lot of zone coverage. Like, we've seen it here. Tenzel Ward's a much better corner in man coverage. Yet, Joe Woods has got him running zone. So, Robert Sala, can we run zone with another guy who's better in man? Yeah. Yeah, schematically, it doesn't make much sense. You're right. So that's something to think about when it comes to these draft picks. Think about their scheme. Think about how they fit with what you know the coach's philosophy and what they believe. Right. You know, it's great to sit there and you know praise Mel's big board and his best available every you know every uh, every draft and all these mock drafters that put out their rankings. That just like, are, are you looking at where these guys actually are going to fit in the NFL, or does this actually make sense for this team? Sure, mm-hmm. you love them in college, but we've seen it before. Guys look great in college, come to the pros, and they suck because they're drafted into the wrong system. Yeah, this goes on quarterback. It goes to any position, really. Um, so we kind of talked about the Browns draft earlier, so I guess we can skip that then and go straight to nobody trade for Baker Mayfield. No, nobody did. Nobody. Yeah, not totally shocked by this. Um, I mean, that was kind of the vibe leading into the draft. Was like if he was going to be traded, he it was probably going to happen before. The draft started, and once the draft kicked off, it was like, "Yep, here we go. We're stuck." I mean, he could um, still go to the fan-controlled league now. <laughs> Technically, he can't because he's still under contract in the NFL. But I like your idea. 
Yeah. That's like, what you're thinking. I like the thought of getting him out of the league, and that's one way to do it. So, yeah, I'm on board with that. I don't know. I think he does deserve a shot with another team. I just – I don't know. Do you think he should be a starter? No, never. Never? Never. Yeah, that emphatic. Yeah, he'd be a good backup in the NFL. If you want to be a backup, that's fine. He has the skill set of a backup. The problem is he thinks he's a starter, okay? That's the problem, yeah. And we've seen this with, with quarterbacks before, okay? The guys that can't understand where they actually fall in terms of the hierarchy of quarterbacks in the league are the ones that you see get drafted, do some stuff, then kind of just disappear. And it's the guys that accept the fact that they're not a starter, and they're yeah. okay with that, that play in a league for 10 to 15 years. I mean, look how long Colt McCoy has played. Look how long Brian Hoyer's played. That dude's played forever because he's accepted that he's a backup. Right. I mean, Brian Hoare was good for us, though. It, for that, you know, that part of that one season, sure. But he's not a starter. No. 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 You know what I mean? So, I mean, there's there are a ton of those guys out there that are just great backups. Yeah, I think Baker would be a very capable backup for the right team. But he, he is not willing to accept that role. I mean, he's made that very clear in every one of his interviews, that he thinks he's a starter. He thinks that he was treated unfairly. Um, but no, this isn't shocking. You know, when anytime you have a guy that like clearly not many people in the locker room thought very highly of, like, why would you want to bring a guy like that in? Um, when you can bring in a young guy and you can mold them into whatever, you know, you at least can try to mold them into what you want them to be. But Baker is who Baker is and everybody knows it. You know, he, he's, he's put it all out there in black and white for everybody to see. And now he's kind of paying for that. Like he, He's writing checks that his arm can't cash. Like simply, he's just not. Yeah. He's a guy that you can win with. Like you could definitely win with Baker Mayfield. I'm not saying he's a guy you can't win with, but you will never win because of Baker Mayfield. There will never, we've seen it time and time again, late in games when he's in a position to get us over the hump and, and he just would fail every time. He always falls short in those scenarios. So like, can you win with them? Sure. Will a team, I mean, ultimately end up picking him up yeah and they might give him a chance to start but like it's just he doesn't have it you know he just doesn't have it you're, you're right on that one i mean you're right there I mean, let's let's be honest here the washington commanders decided to spend a fifth round draft pick on baker mayfield light and sam howell than trade for actual baker mayfield okay right right yeah, take the guy who basically uh, all of the pro comparisons for him were baker so, so yeah, take him. Doesn't come with all the baggage. Doesn't come with all of the attitude and whatever. Entitlement. It's it's amazing how entitled Baker Mayfield is for Mr. Chip on my shoulder walk on man. Yeah, but he, this dude's got tons of entitlement. Mm-hmm. And he's yeah, Madonna. Yes, he is. I mean, the fact that even before they took drafted Sam Howell, the fact that the Commanders. Trade for Carson Wentz instead of Baker Mayfield says something. Two strains. Yeah. Totally yeah. Two strains. That's just, that's where we're at when it yeah. comes to, to Mr. Baker Mayfield. Okay. I think at, at this point, it's either going to be that we cut him or like we hold on to him until training camp. Hope that somebody's quarterback gets injured and then they come calling. 
I, mean, I just don't want him to be involved in the camp, though, at all. You know, like, I don't want him involved in team activities, period. Like, it's not good for the team to have him be involved in any way. Agreed. So, I, ideally, I think that they need to get this situation taken care of before all of that. Um, but it, it might come down to they're going to have to eat some of his salary because no one wants to pay what him. Baker has a comeback. Where? He won't. I mean, yeah, where? Where, when, how? He won't. Here? No. No. We no. We've moved Perfect. on. We got two quarterbacks already. You know, outside of Deshaun. But yeah, I was getting the streets Already got two other guys that we brought in. You know, and they're both guys that that would fit the mold of a Deshaun Watson and Bingo. Baker, and he doesn't. You know, so yeah, it's yeah. Like, it wouldn't make sense to keep him as a backup on this team because it, it, you have to change the offense for Baker if he has to go in the game. Ideally, with your backup, you want a guy that you can just plug and play. Um, and a guy that just won't lose you games, won't throw, you know, won't turn the ball over. Um, and that's, that's not Baker. So no, I don't see a Browns comeback coming. No, I was just going to say that same thing too, Brian. Like if you look at the three quarterbacks we have on their, on our roster, they all have similar skill sets. Obviously Deshaun Watson has a better skill set than Jacoby Brissett and Josh Dobbs but they all have a similar playing style. Baker Mayfield is is not like that. It's like if you're playing that old Sesame Street game, one of these things is not like the other. Okay. Um. <laughs> you got a Sesame Street reference. I mean. We're not in hour two yet, and we're talking Sesame Street. So yep. We're on but, part. Uh, if you look at the quarterback room last year, I mean, that's – I mean, that logic tracks. I mean, they had Baker Mayfield, Case Keenum, and Nick Mullins all over six feet tall and can't really throw the ball downfield all that well. Um, yeah. So, yeah, uh, having a quarterback of a similar skill set, a similar build is, is very valuable. Uh, I mean, look at Baltimore when, you know, when Jackson wasn't able to play, they went to Huntley. So they look yeah. real good with Huntley. And that, they look, they look the same. They yeah, look the they, fucking same. Yeah, that's fair. I mean, really, <laughs> when when you look at the numbers, they really did. Yeah. I mean, they were, they were like equally as effective with both guys. I mean, sure, Tyler Huntley, not as good as Lamar Jackson. And some of that showed as they progressed, but their offense didn't change. They're in the, the same place. They're in the same scheme. Yeah. 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 Let me ask you this. What like I know all of us are big on Billy B. We all like Bill Belichick. What do you guys think of uh New England's draft before we move on from football completely? Um, because I thought that one of the biggest reaches of the draft was Cole Strange at number twenty nine. <laughs> that was a smart pick. I mean, like I said earlier, it just felt like a total Patriots pick. Like Bill yeah. Belichick's like, hey, I, we have a need here. Um, yeah. I really like this guy and nobody else does. Okay, I'll take him end of the first round. Yep. <clears throat> Cole Strange, I mean, here's the deal. If there's anyone who works harder from a scouting standpoint as a head coach in the NFL uh, than Bill Belichick, I'd be surprised, okay? Yeah. Because you know what Bill Belichick's probably doing right now? Starting scouting for next draft. He's already started. Okay, sure. That's the first thing they do after the draft ends. It's the first thing he does as a head coach. You don't really, I mean, sure, coaches are involved, but this guy knows every single team, knows every single player. He knows all the conferences. He's got binders, okay? So it's not like 
he's making this pick on a form. Like I need a lineman. This guy's the best one available on the board according to Swell Mel. So I'm going to take this guy. Okay. Um, sure. It's not a sexy pick. It's a very new England pick. Yeah. You know what I mean? It's, it's, they needed an alignment. Cole strange was there. Bill Belichick knows a shit ton about Cole strange. And you've walked, looked at the Patriots offensive line over the years. It's not like they've had a bad offensive line at any particular point. Sure, yeah. There's been offensive lines, but then other ones, but, you know, looking at New England's draft, I mean, it's just like, let's see how all these guys fit in. You know, they got a guard, they got a receiver, they got a corner in their first three picks. You could probably say those are three of the biggest positions of need on that team. Yeah. Yeah, I definitely didn't have a, a problem with them drafting a guard. I just thought that they they had a need for a day one starter. And to me, I don't know if Cole Strange is going to be day one. But Bill Belichick, like you said, he's if he took him there, he thinks that he'll be ready to start day one. And then that's the only thing that I wasn't certain about with that pick was, is this guy going to be ready day one? But yeah, Bill Belichick knows what the fuck he's doing more than I do. So I'm not doubting him. I just <laughs> thought that, that that was something that, I mean, like a lot of pundits were really like up in arms about that pick. And I, I don't know. Yeah. I also thought it was interesting. Didn't New England draft another quarterback? Zappy? They did. They did. Uh, the fourth round, Bailey Zappi. I don't think that says anything about Mac Jones, though. No, it doesn't. You need a backup quarterback. Yeah, he's. He, I mean, uh, look at all the quarterbacks New England's drafted when Tom Brady was there. Jimmy Garoppolo, um, Ryan, Ryan Mallett, uh, Brian Hoyer. <laughs> Speaking of Brian Hoyer, <laughs> I mean, there's a lot of value in having a strong backup quarterback. It's yeah. the NFL. There's 17 games now. Like, it, guys get hurt. You know. Yeah, so, of course he's gonna he's gonna draft the backup, and I think Zappy's a guy who's accepted that like that's gonna be his role in the NFL. He's not a guy that's coming in trying to set the world on fire. So I think that that was a, a pick that really made sense for them to instead of you know maybe taking the best available quarterback, it was more like okay, who's who's a guy that wants to own that role of being a backup and and is gonna be comfortable learning from Mac Jones, and so yeah, that's why I I was way more okay with that pick. I didn't think there was as much of a question mark as, you know, the, the Cole Strange pick, but that's just because he, Cole Strange played at a small school. I didn't get to watch him play. So, of course, I'm going to question, you know, whether or not he's going to be a day one starter in the NFL. It makes yeah, sense. So, uh, you know, looking at the, the Patriots draft history with Tom Brady as their quarterback, I mean, they've drafted quite a few, quite a few guys. Jacoby Brissett was drafted by them. Um, while uh, Brady was still the quarterback there. So was Jarrett Stidham, if you remember him. Cliff Kingsbury, drafted by, mm. drafted by the Patriots. Uh, Danny Etling, Matt Castle, Zach Robinson. I mean, so it's – all these guys were backups, and they all played a role at some point for that, right. for those, that team. So yeah. you need a backup every once in a while. Yeah. I mean, Tom Brady was a backup. When he first started? Briefly. Briefly, and then he went on to the greatest of all time. Yeah. Yeah, there's no shame in starting your career as, as a projected backup. But it's becoming more and more common for these guys to start day one. So I think the, the pressure is a little higher than normal for guys that go in the draft to, to come in and start day one. But yeah. that, was, that was never the intent with the Zappy pick, and that's why I thought it was a good one. Yeah. No, I mean, I they have the guy and Mac Jones. Mac Jones is going to be their quarterback. Zappy's yeah. just, yeah. you know, it depends if they want to bring back Brian Hoyer again. 
<laughs> as a backup. It's another valuable – I mean, it's a good value to get a, a late-round quarterback that is going to be a backup. Like, that's not a guy you're going to have to pay big bucks. You don't have to take in an old contract of his. You don't have to take on a guy who's fading that you're still paying, you know, buku bucks to. Um, so, yeah, I, I thought it was a smart thing to, to get their backup in the draft rather than finding him elsewhere. Yeah, I agree with, I agree with you on that one. It just felt like a surprising pick more than anything. I'm always of the belief if you do not have an elite quarterback, you should be drafting a quarterback at some point in every single draft. Okay. Yeah. I like Mac Jones. I think he's going to be really good, but I don't, I don't think he's elite or ever will be elite. I think he's going to be fine. Okay. And that's perfectly fine. But when you're a team that has a quarterback like that, you need to be continuously churning out that quarterback spot to yeah. maybe find someone who's uh, o- overlooked. Find, mm-hmm. find the next Tom Brady. Find Russell Wilson. Find Dak Prescott. Because you know what? Those guys have done a lot <laughs> in the NFL. And yeah. you know, a couple of guys are recent picks that were taken in the third and fourth round. So it's it's worth doing that if you have a, a quarterback situation where, one, the guy's aging, or two, the guy's not elite. Because right. there might be a time where that guy needs to play. And if you don't have a good one, you're going to lose. Yeah. The, the two running backs, though, that kind of puzzled me. That's the only part of the draft that I was really shocked about. Um, but yeah, it's Billy B. Like I never, I'm never going to give him a bad draft grade total because like he always proves everybody wrong. Like at time and time again, like he always takes these guys that like James said, they're not on Mel's big board. They're not these splashy picks. Um, but he just keeps going to the fucking postseason and winning Super Bowls. So I mean, this dude's been doing running back by committees since Corey Dillon retired. Okay, yeah. and even when he was still there, Corey Dillon was part of a committee. Okay, so this guy hasn't really had uh, the the running back that gets thirty carries a game. Okay, because first right. of all, it's not the Patriots' offense, but secondly, even if it was, he's going to spread it around through a couple guys. I mean, remember uh, remember Jonas Gray when he had his one game that he like disobeyed a team rule and was like you know, thrown into like the quantum realm. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. He's just gone. <laughs> it it <That's> happens. <laughs> so just, they just disappear. They have like their, their, the one game, you know, James White was there for, you know, a minute. Um, who was the guy that went to, to Tennessee? Oh, I know exactly who you're talking about. Uh, and he was there for a minute. Like these guys are just, they're very interchangeable. Yeah. Right for for Bel- for Bel- Belichick, and that's just what it is. And you brought up Mills' big board board again. Um, how annoyed was anyone else with just seeing Malik Willis being number one on the the big board for two and a half rounds? Oh, yeah. You were talking about Dion Lewis, I think. Yeah, Dion oh, Lewis. Lewis. Yes, Dion Lewis was the running back, former Brown. Uh, okay. yeah. Dion Lewis, but Malik Willis was sitting there as the number one pick on on Mills' big board for two and a half rounds. Like, yeah, we had to watch that to sit there for seven hours. Like, that was not a good look for him. Uh, how out of touch or is like most of the NFL like draft community? Like, no one Very pegged true. Lake Willis to be a first round pick ever until like the past couple of months. Like, the dude was a third round pick. He got picked in the third round for a reason. He's a third rounder. Right. Did you see what Ryan Tannehill said about that? He's like, I'm not going to mentor him. Yeah, he kind of farbed him. I mean, he farved there's so many other quarterbacks that have done the same thing. Yeah, yeah. You I don't know. have a problem with it, really. But it, with a guy like Tannehill, who's not all that good, I, I'd really like him to be more of the the type that is, you know, a good teacher and a good leader. But I don't think that's the job description. I don't think any starting quarterback should think that, like, they have to mentor guys or whatever. 
But when you're a guy that's like Tannehill, who's not elite, I don't think he'll ever be elite. Like you want him to kind of fill roles like that a little bit more. You know what I mean? So like, I would like to, like, ideally I would want him to be a little more accepting and want to help Malik Willis more. Um, But yeah, it's, I'm not upset about it in any way. Yeah. I just thought it's also interesting because I feel like Tannehill and Willis have two completely different skill sets. Also going back to what we were saying about like the Browns uh, quarterback room. Uh, they're more similar than than I think you think. <laughs> that was good, Brian. <laughs> was me saying words that wasn't anything. <laughs> I found it funny anyway. Uh, anyway, we're great at transitions, aren't we? Yeah, real pro, real professional. Tyron Matthew is now a New Orleans Saint. I mean, oh, I heard about that. That was a very shocking uh, pick. I thought he was going to be staying with the Chiefs for a while. He was never going to stay with the Chiefs. The Chiefs didn't have the money to to, to keep him. And this is part of what comes down with roster crunches. You have to prioritize sometimes. And, you know, I really like Tyron Matthew, but he's not really a true starting safety. You know what I mean? He's more Mm -hmm. kind of like a rover type of player or whatever the hell you want to call him. That's not what he does, but that's kind of where he fits in. He's not a strong safety or free safety, and he's not quite a linebacker either. He's kind of like – Like a monster back. Yeah. Do everything type, yeah. Yeah, and, and that's fine, but that's not a guy you prioritize. But you know, Tyra Matthew going to going to Louisiana, like not surprising at all to me. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, that's a good good fit for him for sure. Yeah, he also went to LSU. I'm pretty sure, so makes all the he sense. Go to LSU. He's from New Orleans, so yeah, going back home to play for the team he probably rooted for as a kid. So. Yeah, good for him. I, yeah. I've always liked the Honey Badger. Um, but, yeah, I mean, I think his best playing days are certainly behind him. So, like, the best option for him was to go somewhere that, you know, he could make some money. Yeah. And I think that that's – he'll make more money playing in New Orleans than he could have made staying on that Kansas City roster when they're trying to build another champion. So. Yeah. And then DeAndre Hopkins was suspended. Yeah, eight games. Six. Yeah, six. Oh, I'm sorry, six games. I, he was yeah. out eight games last year. I could, Yeah, yeah. So suspended six games. He initially was going to challenge it. Then he dropped it pretty soon after and said, see you in week seven. So he's accepted the <laughs> the suspension here. But this is a big blow for the Cardinals, honestly, because uh, this is kind of a very crucial year for this organization to be in with, whether it's the quarterback, whether it's, I know they gave Cliff Kingsbury a coach's uh, contract extension, but those don't mean jack shit. It's all money to, to, to teams anyways. I mean, we've seen teams extend coaches then fire them a year later. So yeah, it doesn't yeah. mean anything, but not having Hopkins. This is, this is big. Even though I know they got AJ Brown or whatever, but who the hell cares? DeAndre Hopkins is a big receiver. And so instead of having, you know, a whole bunch of short guys out there, you got a tall guy to throw to. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, it's big. I mean, this is a team that for the longest time, you know, could lean heavily on Larry Fitzgerald and like they don't have that luxury anymore of, of mm-hmm. in his prime. So like 
yeah, it's a it's a really big impact for them. Um, they didn't do well uh, in the eight games he was out last year. They lost five out of those eight games, including uh, the playoffs without Hopkins, um, like you have here on the show sheet. So yeah, they didn't do well without him. So they haven't shown that they can that they can win without him yet. So I, I wouldn't be too optimistic until they see how uh, this trade ends up fitting. Oh, you mean with Marquise Brown, right? Marquise, yeah, Hollywood Brown. Uh, right. Yeah. yeah. The wrong, other Brown, not AJ Hollywood. Yeah, wrong, wrong player, whatever. <laughs> Either way. But the receivers are, you know, AJ Green, Hollywood Brown, Rondale Moore until it's DeAndre Hopkins returns time. Yeah. Not yeah. the best. They're okay. Zach Ertz is there. That's a guy. Yeah. They'll. The Cardinals will be okay, but I don't think they're going to be special. Uh, I really like the tight end they got, though. I think Trey McBride's going to be really good. Um, yeah. But yeah. At the end of the day, they, they need that number one receiver. And I don't know if Hollywood Brown is going to be able to lift, live up to the numbers that DeAndre Hopkins had as a number one guy. So Not even close. No. No, he, he's not because that's that's not really what Hollywood Brown is. He's right. He's more of a slot type guy. Yeah, you they didn't him bring him there. They didn't bring him there to be the number one guy, but now he's kind of forced to be. Exactly. You yeah. mean the corpse of AJ Green isn't going to carry this offense? <laughs> exactly. That's exactly. Exactly what I mean. Yeah, and then the NFL has ruled against the claims of Hugh Jackson. I I'm mean, surprised. I mean, yeah, literally. Come on. It, th- this was, you know, prototypical Huey headlines behavior. Someone <laughs> claims uh, uh, tanking allegations and that the team was against them. He's like, how can I get my name back in the mix? I know. I will say that this happened to me. Then he goes on and fundamentally doesn't understand what tanking is or what's going on. Like, granted, I hated the way the Browns operated uh, early on in Hugh Jackson's tenure. Okay. I thought it was terrible. I thought it was the wrong way to go about things. Okay. There was a reason we were one in 32. Exactly. Yeah. There was a reason they were that bad. Okay. And, you know, for what it's worth, you know, with the draft being over and the trade made for Deshaun Watson, uh, you know, we did have the pick that ended up picking Deshaun Watson. We, we could have just took him then and not paid five times the price to get him a couple of years later. But that's besides the point. Thanks, Sashi Brown. Uh, yeah. But, yeah. Oh, 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 Paul D. Podesta. Yeah, great brain trust there. Um, yeah, in that same but, job, we could have gotten Patrick Mahomes. Uh, yeah. yeah, I mean, that, that also could have happened. That's besides the point. But Hugh, Hugh Jackson getting ruled against, not surprising. Let's be honest no. here. No one believes Harry anything. Says something, then once, uh, once more stuff comes out, it's like, okay, yeah, this is nothing. Right. Has anything actually happened further with the Brian Flores lawsuit, or is that just kind of faded? Stuff's happening. It's just you're not hearing about it. It's a long process with stuff like that, so it just gets drawn out, and it leaves the news cycle. It'll come back into the news cycle when the hearings pop up, but it's it's a long process, so that story is probably going to drag out for, for another year or two who knows okay like the it's a lot of like discovery and investigation and sorting through emails and documents and if there's audio files sorting through those in video if there's video as well so there's gonna be a lot of stuff the fact that you're not hearing about it means that maybe they are finding some things okay 
because let's let's remember when they went through the the Washington Commanders email scandal. The only reason you heard about the John Gruden things had nothing to do with what they were looking for. Okay? Yeah, you haven't heard anything about what they were looking for, but you heard about John Gruden and his terrible emails and him getting canned. The didn't stuff, take long. Didn't take long for the Hugh Jackson, you know, situation to be put to rest. Yeah, yeah. when when stuff is unrelated to the claims of it, you'll hear about it. But stuff related to it, you're never going to hear about it until it actually happens. Yeah. Yeah. That's a really good point. Of course, now Brian Flores is with the Pittsburgh Steelers, who just declined the fifth-year option on Devin Bush. Dude, That's Devin Bush. a good segue. Nicely done. That's a good segue. Yeah, uh, this was a disaster uh, pick for the Steelers. The Devin Bush situation just never worked out for them. Um, so, yeah, not surprising to me that they didn't pick up the, the fifth-year option. He just hasn't produced. He, he still has potential, but Pittsburgh might just not be the right fit for him. The team that just does nothing but churn out linebackers isn't the team for a linebacker to be successful. Yeah, yeah you can't be a successful linebacker on that team. Where are you going to find your success? Yeah, I mean, you're not going to be. Uh, this comes down to injuries and lack of production, really. They, what they didn't want to do is pick up the fifth-year option, pay him a shit ton of money to – two years from now when mm. he might still not be any good. Right. And this right. Side, that's what it comes down to. I mean, like, this happens all the time with the Steelers. Think of all the, the, like the edge and linebackers that they've drafted over the years. And it's just like, Oh God, they drafted that guy. Remember Jarvis Jones? Like, mm. Oh, oh, here's a throwback defense. Then Jason world. So who remembers him? Yes. <laughs> they didn't do shit. No. Right. <laughs> it's a very and good you, point. And if you Hood, there's another one. Okay. okay. What was that? I said, if you don't do shooting Pittsburgh, you go bye-bye. <laughs> I mean, they, Mike Vrabel was someone who made a name for himself on other teams, specifically with the Patriots. Uh, yeah. He was with the Steelers and didn't fit. Okay. That's, that's one out of how many? That's more the exception than the rule. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That Yeah, that doesn't prove the rule. Anyway, so moving on from the National Football League, we're moving to Major League Baseball, which I decided to change up my recording studio wall, I guess, make it more Major League Baseball-ish. Trevor Bauer just can't stay out of bad places, can he? Because he's suspended for two years. Yeah, well, he's out because, for... of, uh, because of the allegations against him. Mm-hmm. And so yeah. the two-year suspension right in probably the tail end of his prime of his career. So, Do you think he's ever going to play again, James? No. I don't think no, so he's either. Done. I think He'll he's go done. play somewhere else. He won't play in Major League Baseball. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. Somebody will pay him a ton of money to play in Korea or Japan or something, but yeah, he won't, he won't play here again. I don't think his Dodgers career even panned out the way he wanted to in the first place. He pitched half a season, so yeah, of course not. <laughs> exactly. So you know, the first step he went against his own rule of not signing one-year deals by signing a multi-year deal. Is he played half of a season? Then ended up being, you know, suspended essentially or placed on the commissioner's list and just having his leave extended until the suspension came down and it's for two years. Like meteoric rise, meteoric fall as well for Trevor Bauer. Yeah. Uh, He's a stooge. This guy's a douche. 
<laughs> Major League Baseball is better without Trevor Bauer in it. Like yeah, this is not a, big like thing. sometimes guys get suspended and it's like a really lot a big loss for the game. Like this isn't a loss for the game. Like the guy's always been a douche. Like uh, he deserves to be suspended. He's suspended. I don't think he's ever going to play an MLB again. I'm I'm and I don't think that he really should. So no, I don't think so either. Yeah. Congrats to Dusty Baker on his 2000th win. Yeah, huge achievement for uh, Dusty Baker, uh, the first African-American coach to reach the 2000 win plateau. So obviously not the first manager to ever do it, but um, first uh, African-American manager to do it. Um, so really, really big uh, moment for Dusty Baker. Congratulations. Yeah. The cap. Hats off to him. I actually did not know that he was the first African-American manager to do that. So I appreciate you telling me that, Brian. Unless my source was wrong, but that's and Brian knows his baseball. Yes, he does. Uh, yeah, I'm, I'm looking at the list here. Okay. Uh, he's 12th all time with 2,000 wins. Three more to tie Bruce Bochy to put him in 11th. I imagine he'll get there by the end of the week. Uh, um, yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah, but looking at the uh, the list of uh, people there, yeah, he is the first African American mm. uh, manager with 2,000 wins. This, the rest of the list, Connie Mack, Tony La Russa, John McGraw, Bobby Cox, Joe Torrey, Sparky Anderson, Bucky Harris, Joe McCarthy, Walter Alston, Leo DeRocher, and Bruce Bochy. Yeah, I mean, it's a, it's a really big achievement. And it, I think it's important to, to make those distinctions, too, because, like, we these things, like, we're still breaking barriers, like, in 2022, you know. And, like, with Jackie Robinson Day, you know, having, like, such a major importance in the league, like, um, I think it's important to acknowledge that, you know, he is the first because, you know, some people come out and just say like, oh, well, he should just be looked at as a manager and like, sure, of course. But like it, it is a big achievement. So, yeah. <clears throat> Looking at uh, Dusty Baker's numbers, he's the only member of the 2000 win club to not have won a World Series. Ooh, that's a fun fact. He's also won the most games without winning a World Series. Yeah, yeah. I believe that. So, yeah, I mean, he's won in the regular season everywhere he's went. Yeah, yeah. but yeah. that's that's about the limit to it. It, it. He just doesn't doesn't his teams don't have it in the postseason. Put it that way. Yeah, I'm looking at the standings right now, and Astros are current. I know it's really early to be talking standings, but being that Dusty Baker is the Astros manager, I'll just mention this. Right now, they're in second place behind the Angels. At uh, Angels are fifteen and ten. Astros are thirteen and eleven. So it's a one and a half game difference. Yeah, tight race as of now. But we're also only what's that? Twenty four games in. So twenty five yeah. games in. I'm yeah, not reading, super early. Right. I'm not reading too much into that. I just thought it was worth mentioning anyway. Yeah, they're off to a good start. Exactly. They are. Uh, they're four and four at home, nine and seven away. So they only played eight games in a host, six, sixteen uh, games on the road there. But they're they're winning away from home. I imagine once they start playing more games, they'll have a winning record at home, and then they'll finish somewhere around ninety wins. Yeah. yeah. I picked always... them to, I picked them to win the division, and I'm actually sticking to that. So I yeah. still think they're going to come out of the AOS. I, their best baseball is in front of them. And for that reason, I, I think that they'll end up overtaking uh, L.A. and edging out Seattle this season. Yeah. 
Um, I do ultimately think the race is going to come down to them in Seattle. Yeah. Uh, for sure. I, it, I think it's Astros by a lot. I, I don't think Seattle's going to be sniffing the mix at all. Yeah. They had some I, expectations going into the season. Um, but yeah, they, they just don't don't look the part of a, a legit contender. And yeah. they have a lot of guys that aren't performing well right now. And a lot of them are younger players, but that's kind of to be expected with younger players on a team. Right. But I just I, I think everyone was just getting way too excited about Seattle jumping the gun a year early, honestly. Yeah, yeah. For sure. And yeah, Julio wasn't off to like the greatest start for uh, his rookie campaign. He just broke through and got his first home run the other night. Um, I think he's going to start hitting a lot better. So his best baseball is definitely in front of him too. Um, but yeah, I, I think you're right, James. When you said people are a year too early, um, they are a really exciting team to watch, but they're just not not ready yet. You know, yeah, kind of in the same boat that the Guardians are in. Very similar, very similar. And, yeah. you know, it, it, as long as Julio starts getting uh, some more uh, friendly calls in the strike zone, not getting rung up on egregious strike three calls, then, uh, you know, you could see his turnaround coming very quickly. Yeah, he's yeah. not getting the star treatment whatsoever. No. He's getting the old school rookie treatment by umpires. And it's just so annoying because it's just like these umps are just, they suck. <laughs> it's a problem. Yeah. They're terrible. They're they're really bad, and you know, they'll stick up for each other. They will. Yeah, it's um, like they're they're their own team themselves. I, I heard on two separate podcasts, uh, you know, Joe West talking about the criticism Angel Hernandez gets and saying that it's not warranted. It's like, no, Angel Hernandez sucks. Okay, there's, there's a reason he's not calling World Series games. Okay, yeah. he's bad. Yeah, yeah like, I, actually, ninety percent by our grading. Well, of course, your grading is going to be better. You want yourselves to look much better than you actually are right exactly yeah it's a bad situation <laughs> angel hernandez sucks but yeah they're it's part of it's like a cult the umpires are like part of a cult and they're never going to be critical of each other um because at the end of the day they know that they could be next you know so but it's a lot of old school just old white dudes that are eventually going to retire um, but it just this it disappoints me because like one of the most exciting parts of MLB right now is there's a lot of really good young talent. And it's like when you bring up a guy like Julio, like you you want to see him be successful, you know, mm -hmm. and then you're you're going to rob him of calls like from Jump Street, like just every time he's at the plate. Uh, I, I just think that that's like it's not good for the game. Like, I don't know what they're getting at by like being tough on rookies. Yeah. And to further. uh Further enhance your point on that, like, how do you grow the game of Major League Baseball? You showed that you have star young players that can do damage and make an impact on the game. With the umpires pretty much taking the bat out of their hands, they're not able to do that. Mm, I mean, sure. But, like, it's – the problem with baseball is different, honestly. The the problem with baseball and not being able to grow the game is that they will hit you with a DMCA strike if you tweet out a video of a home run, okay? The, the, the fact that they don't let anyone else uh, tweet out any other media, that's their problem because they're, like, the pri uh, proprietary owner of their own media. 
uh, baseball advanced media, they come down hard on anyone that posts something um, that is considered to be their intellectual property. So that's their real problem. Not letting people just tweet out awesome plays and then not getting, you know, all, all messed up about it. That's the real problem, to be honest with you. That's fair. And I then mean, I mean, look at the NBA. People tweet out all, uh, plays of sweet dunks and steals and blocks. Nothing. Tweet out one home run video and you get a DMCA strike. That's the problem. Yeah. yeah. And then make the Minnesota Twins, who are somehow leading the AL Central at this point, they're get, getting hit with a major blow because Miguel Sano is having surgery on his torn meniscus. This isn't a major blow. Miguel Sano is a fat piece of shit and can't hit his weight. Okay. <laughs> he can't hit half his weight. Miguel Sano's not any good. I, I don't know why we keep pretending he's good. He's not. He's useless. Let's be yeah. honest here. I, I'm so tired of Miguel Sano. Okay. The guy could be good. He has tons of power, sure. But you know what? Guess who's pretty much useless with uh, you know a bat in his hands? It's Miguel Sano. There's a reason they sent him down to low A a couple of years ago. It's because he can't hit. Cool. He hits the occasional you know dong every once in a while. All right. But you know what? Who cares? We talked about Miguel Sano's injury. Is that what you guys? Yeah. Talking? Sorry yeah. about that. Yeah, I had somebody at the door. So you're good. Um, yeah, I'm with you, James. He's he's been a guy that just he's not produced. Like I'm kind of tired of hearing about him as well. Um, but I don't particularly like the Minnesota Twins, and uh, I think that their start's a little bit fraudulent. So it, it is fraudulent. It's very fraudulent. I, I yeah. don't see how that's sustainable. That's where I'm getting. I don't think that this this early start for them is going to be sustainable. Um, ultimately, it's going to be the White Sox division to lose. Yeah, my pick of the Tigers is not looking good right now at all. I don't know why you picked the Tigers. <laughs> Try telling you that. <laughs> let's look at let's look at Sano's slash line real quick. 0.093 batting average, 231 on base, 148 slug percentage. Oh, he struck out 21 times in 54 at bats. Ooh, that no that you're worse than Bobby Bradley. <laughs> That's bad. And Bobby Bradley just got DFA'd, so that's a yeah. lot. So Robinson, you don't have this on the rundown, but we'll talk about it anyway. Robinson Cano also got DFA'd. Uh, about, about time. He's useless. 39-year-old Robinson Cano is useless. How much is he making this year? And he got DFA'd. $38 million. It's hysterical. Like It's like the most expensive DFA of all time. I think so. Pete Cohen don't give a fuck. Okay, he's got money to burn. Yeah, I love it. I love that. Like, if I wish that we had ownership like that. Like, the, twenty-four million dollars this year, twenty-four million dollars next year. Okay, I said, fuck the, him. the forty-eight million dollars that he was due over the next year is less than half of what he bought the Pointing Man statue for. Okay, <laughs> Pete Cohen don't care about money. No, he does not. He's got. He's past the point of fuck you money. Okay. Yes. <laughs> The level is called fuck you, and he's past that. He don't care. Yeah, I no, love it. No, he doesn't. I love it. He's like, I'd rather just eat the $48 million so my baseball team's better. Which is, a, it's so refreshing, to be completely honest. Like, there's not not a lot of ownership out there that that swings that way. And and to, he, to see him handle the situation the way they are and send them down, I think it's really refreshing. Yeah. He, just, um, he doesn't. 
a purpose on this on that roster anymore. No, they, he doesn't. They have so many other infielders on that team. Yeah, yeah, they're Jay loaded. Davis, McNeil, uh, Francisco Lindor, obviously Eduardo Escobar. Uh, you know, like they've got guys. They've got yeah. tons of guys that they can play. They're, they they have no business wasting time with Robinson Cano. No, yeah, I agree. Can you can you imagine a couple years ago, like when the 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 Mets had Robinson Cano and Jed Lowry on the same roster? Right. Oh wow. Well, think about oh, that too. Like the Mets just DFA'd Robertson Cano, and they're they're the best team in baseball. So, like that that says a lot about where they're at. You know what I mean? Yeah. So, uh, they're they're in great position. They're off to a great start. Um, yeah, I, I I think it's refreshing, and it it's the right move at the end of the day for them. Yeah, hundred percent. Um, but, uh, transitioning to the NBA now, Dean Wade, despite the Cavaliers being out of the playoffs and all that, according to Chirk, the real D Wade is resuming on court activity. Right. And this is, this is good to see for Dean Wade, I guess. Uh, you know, he did have the season and the injury. So him being allowed to get to the next step and the rehab process, that's nice. Yeah. I don't know if you were actually I'm not even gonna spoil what just happened in the Guardians game. Good, don't because I, I, I have the, the game cast on my computer. I don't even have um a stream that I'm watching. Yeah, wait, where are you? Because I am in my kitchen because we are in the process of uh reorganizing the house and my office is now gonna be upstairs and no longer in the basement. So That's in the interim. Uh, my up, office though. is the kitchen table. Um, I'm in my kitchen as well. Yeah. This is a window. This is a big car. <laughs> yeah, we're a big kitchen show. So, <laughs> yeah. So, temporarily in the kitchen. What? Ne- next I- week, I should be upstairs. Should I, for next show, should I not be in my recording studio? Should I be in my kitchen? Unless you can't take the heat, <laughs> then I would stay out. <laughs> there we that go. That was a good one. That was a good one. That hey, one actually. Hey, speaking of the Miami Heat, they lead their series one game to none. Joel Embiid is out again tonight, and I think Miami goes up two games to none. Yeah, I agree with you, Josh. Uh, I think that Miami will extend the lead to two zero. Um, not having Embiid is massive. Um, James Harden is a shell of what he used to be. Um, so, yeah, I, I think that him being out is massive. Miami's taking advantage, and I do think that it'll end up being 2 up. Yeah. I think Miami goes on to win the series maybe in five. That's aggressive. I'll say that. Um, I'm trying to find out some very important information here. Okay. I have heard there's a possibility. Ah, okay. All right. I, I found the important information that I need. I think the Sixers win tonight, and here's why. You know how many free throws James Harden shot in game one? How many? Four. Oof. You're going to see that uh, quadruple this evening. I think that will be enough to have an impact on the game and for the Sixers to tie it one game apiece. Okay, that's an interesting theory. I see. I see where you're coming from with that, though. 100. 
Because so. you know what? It's going to be they're going to file a whole bunch of complaints about why James Harden didn't get calls for free throws, and you're going to see the pendulum swing in the other direction. It, if you're a believer in the pendulum theory like I am, when things go really hard in one direction, it's going to go in the complete opposite the next time around. Okay. This applies to pretty much everything in life, but if you're looking at sports and something that usually tracks as extremely as James Harden's free throw attempts are, he's going to shoot like 15, 16 free throws tonight. Yeah. Yeah, I see what you're saying, but I just don't – I don't know if James Harden is the player that we – like oh, many NBA fans grew to love, you know, the guy that – would dribble till you, his hand fell off and then would make a series of moves and draw a foul and make a crazy layup. Or like when he would go for like 50. I just don't think he's that type of guy anymore. Well, you got to look at his, his playing style. It's not necessarily one that ages gracefully. Okay. Mm-hmm. Taking on a ton of fouls and getting beat up over the course of a season is not something that's going to add up well. Uh, you know, think about running backs in the NFL, how they have a limited shelf life. If you're getting fouled as much as someone as James Harden is, uh, effectiveness over time is going to wane in addition to father time being undefeated. Okay. So if you look at it that way, I think James Harden is still a really good player. He's obviously not the MVP guy he was, but he's still a really, really good player. He really is, even at 32 years old. I'm, I'm, I'm on the fence about that. Yeah, I'm, I, I still think he, he has an important role to play on that team, and he's still good. But he's definitely, I'm with you, Josh. He's definitely not what he once was. But they don't necessarily need him to be that James Harden to win the game, though. You know what I mean? Yeah, I get. Miami Heat, they're not up against some juggernaut. Um, so yeah, I, I'm totally okay with you know people who are picking the other way um i do still think they lose this game ultimately um but i i ascribe to that theory 100 about him getting to the line more and that could be the difference so yeah i do i don't disagree with that theory um i just think miami is still going to be able to overcome that because i don't i don't know for sure jimmy but is jimmy butler played in game one didn't he yeah, Butler played in game one. Okay. So, I think they'll have plenty. Jimmy Butler, Duncan Robinson, Tyler Hero, the newly minted sixth man of the year. Bam Adebayo, P.J. Tucker. I like what Miami has on the on their team. So, I just think it's a little too much for an Embiid-less 76ers team with, with just Harden. Yes, I know Tyrese Maxey has had some amazing games this postseason, but I don't think that's, like, who he really is. I haven't seen Tobias Harris really step up when he's needed to. He scored 27 points last game. 27 points last game, yeah. I'm just saying on a consistent basis, I haven't really seen, like, that type of game from Tobias Harris, so... I just don't trust the 76ers without Joel Embiid. Yeah, somehow Tobias Harris had a negative 25 plus minus, but he had a good game. Four for five at the free throw line, only one for four from three, uh, but 11 for 18 from the field. So overall a good game, um, but somehow minus 25. Hmm. 
That's interesting. I mean, what doesn't help is that they went six for 34 from deep. I don't think that's going to repeat itself, okay? That's fair. 17.6%. That's another thing. Pendulum, okay? Yeah. They're going to shoot like 50% from three tonight, too. They're yeah, going to out of bios. They're going to make 17 threes. James Harden is going to go. He's going to go 15 to 16 from the free throw line, and you'll have a, a comfortable Sixers victory in Miami. Okay. I really think that's going to happen. Because I just, I don't, I, I don't think they're not going to shoot that many free throws again. They only shot 20. Shit. Between, uh, you know, Harden, Harden normally shoots around 20 by himself per game when he's, yeah. you know, when he's getting uh, his foul calls, which he did not get in game one. You imagine they're going to shoot 30% better from three-point range or even 25% better. Yeah, the Heat did shoot really, really well from the foul line. They were 17 for 18. So that that's the one thing that I think, like, even though there will be a disparity, I think Harden's going to get to the line a lot more. And ultimately, the Sixers will be at the line more. Uh, I mean, if the Heat can replicate that type of performance at the foul line, that might be enough. Right. I don't think they necessarily can replicate like going seventeen for eighteen, right? Like that's that's just unrealistic to expect that from them. No, of course, right? And again, I agree. I don't think Philadelphia is going to shoot that badly again. Like you have those types of games every once in a while. Well, I guess it depends on what team you are. You may have those games more often, but still, I just. I trust Miami more than I do Philadelphia right now. I mean, the way I look at it is this way. You're going to have a slight correction for Miami in their three-point shooting department because they went nine for 36. That slight correction, let's say, gets them to 12 or 13. You're going to see a major correction for Houston because of how poorly they shot. They're not going to go six of 34 again. Okay. You mean Philly? Yeah, you mean Philly. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, I agree with you there. Um, you can't expect them to only shoot seventeen percent from three. Right, I get that. But Philly also, you know, eighteen for twenty from the line themselves, so they shot great from the free throw line too. Yeah, uh, but yeah, I mean, this Miami Heat team doesn't exactly strike fear into me, and I think that they're beatable without Embiid. Um, but I, I still do think that the home court advantage. I do think that they end up winning this game. Mm. And then Phoenix looks to go up two games to none against Dallas. I think Phoenix wins somewhat comfortably, actually, tonight. You said comfortably? Yeah, somewhat comfortably anyway. I I don't think much of Dallas, so sure. Never count out Luka, though. One nothing, uh, Suns and four. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, I agree with what Church just said, though. Never count Luca out. He's he's Never one of those players that can that's, elevate his team. That's but, fair. Uh, I just don't give a shit about the rest of the Mavericks roster. Yeah, I don't particularly yeah. care for the rest of them either. <laughs> yeah, they have some nice they have nice pieces around um, Luca, like Jalen Brunson has really come into his own. Uh, Dinwiddie's played well for them. Dwight Powell, Finney Smith. So they have nice pieces. It's just they don't match up with Jay Crowder, Mikhail Bridges, uh, DeAndre Ayton, Devin Booker, Chris Paul. That's I mean, 
you could have made the exact same point and omitted Jay Crowder on purpose. Um, <laughs> Jay Crowder stinks. Okay. He's bad. Yeah, Phoenix is six-point favorites in this game, and I think that's fair. I, I think they win this game easy. Um, but I, I do still think that there's Dallas has the potential to to make a couple of these games interesting. I don't necessarily think it's going to be a blowout. No. no. And then last – the Celtics evened up their series against Milwaukee, but um, I think Milwaukee's going to win that series – Boston had to win, in my opinion. Boston had to win both game game one and game two to give themselves a chance. For me, once they lost game one, for me they lost the series. To me, taking one game in Milwaukee was huge to to get. You know, the first two games in Milwaukee for them to split the pair there, I think, is good for them. You mean in Boston? This series. Is this series – oh, the first two games were in Boston, weren't they? Correct. It's shifting back to Milwaukee. Okay, then never mind. Yeah, I thought they split the series in Milwaukee. They had the same fucking regular season record, so I wasn't sure who had home court. Boston. Yeah, okay. Yeah, never, then yeah, I guess I agree with you a little bit then. Yeah, they should have won both those games. I still yeah. think Boston wins the series, though. I like Boston in this series. I mean – Maybe they should have won both of those games, but like I look at Boston, I just I don't think they're as, as good as everyone makes them out to be. I think they're a good team. I don't think they're as good as everyone thinks they are. I think their defense is that good. I think they're one of the better defensive teams in the last couple of years. I, I just I have a hard time trusting Boston, like because I, I don't know. It, maybe it's just because you look at you know the way the NBA is covered, everyone's been just in love with Boston for the past five, six years. That it's just you, you grow numb to it. You get fatigued by Celtics talk. It's like this team underachieves all the time. So yeah. when they're actually good, it's like, okay, I've seen you be not impressive and you're impressive this time. Am I, is, this, is this the time where you pull the, route, the rug out from under me? Or mm. you make you think that you're actually going to be good? Yeah. Yeah, I think this is the time, actually. I, I, I think this team's better than the Bucs. Um, I, I think that they're going to win this series. I really do. But yeah. what the fuck do I know? I think this series could be the one that where the loss of Chris Middleton comes back to really bite Milwaukee. That's that's the biggest thing there. Like that that loss was huge for them. Right. But we'll see. Yeah. Then again, once they lost uh Middleton, they've gone to this huge lineup of Portis, Giannis, and Brooke Lopez, and Boston just can't match up with that. So, they're, and Milwaukee's like, yeah, go ahead, take three pointers. And I don't like you were saying with Philly earlier, James, like how Philly shot poorly. Boston shot really well in Game Two. Do mm-hmm. I expect that to continue for the rest of the series? No. So, I just think Milwaukee's like, yeah, we got you. You just don't know it yet. I mean, the the thing I look about at Boston is that they're not outside of Jason Tatum. They're not really a offensively skilled group. Okay. Like we're it's 2022 Al Horford. Like Robert Williams is a more of a defensive player. Marcus Smart is more of a defensive player. Jalen Brown gives you some offense, but it's not like 
there's another guy with Jason Tatum or this is some, you know, huge one-two punch that they got. It's not like, you know, Steph and Clay out in Golden State. It's not like LeBron and Kyrie in Cleveland. You know, and you know what I mean? So it's it's not like this this insurmountable offensive barrage that the Celtics have. And I think it's because of that they are more vulnerable than I think than I think a lot of people give them, you know, think they may be. See, I, I think, like, uh, going along with your pendulum theory from earlier, to me, this is the pendulum swinging back the other way in basketball from being these, you know, where it's the three-point shot and it, the star players offensively. Like, the, the Celtics are a really, really good, really complete defensive team. And they play, like, a really smart team basketball. Like, they remind me a lot of, of the Spurs when they were winning every other year. Um, they're built in kind of in that for that same type of run, in my opinion. Um, mm-hmm. So I, I I think that it's do or die for them. I think they got to do it this year, and if they don't, that it was a failed season. But I think they're ready. I just I really do. I'm really high on Jason Tatum. I think he had an amazing season, and uh, the defense for me is just it's it's something that we haven't seen in a long time, like a, a really dominant defensive team. So yeah. I just think they're they're too undersized going against Milwaukee. In the That's box. fair. Yeah, it's a matchup nightmare for sure. Exactly. Yeah. Having to go against Portis, Giannis, Brooke Lopez. I mean, Drew Holiday, Pat Connaughton, they're guards, but they're physical. They're not just going to be like, hey, here's a free layup. Like, you got to work for it. So, and then looking at that other series, Memphis and Golden State, I feel the same way about this series that I, as I said, with Milwaukee and Boston, if we, if, excuse me, if Memphis wanted to win this series, they had to win both games, game one and game two at home, because I don't think they're winning game three or game four in Golden State. I, I just don't. Um... So, as much as I want to give Memphis credit and all that, I don't know. There's just something about it that I'm like, no, this it's not your year. They're too jaw-heavy, in my opinion. Exactly. Like, you had to be an absolute hero last night for them to win this game by five. There was also the Clay Thompson, you know, missed free throws, which you don't usually see, very uncharacteristic, like, Everything had to bounce their way for them to win like this. Like, this is a series that I think, uh, like, once it's back to Golden State, like, I think Golden State wins this series easily. That's what. That's exactly uh, what. The opposite of how I felt about the Celtics in the other series is, is how I feel about. Them. Yeah, Which I mean, I don't know. I think they could put on a competitive series, but I also don't like Golden State. <laughs> I mean, I don't like Golden State. I'm not a fan, but I. I, do. I mean, I'll give them credit where credit's due. They got great players, but. Yeah. I think they win that series easy. Yeah. yeah. I think we're on a collision course for Phoenix Golden State in the Western Conference Finals, and every game of that is going to be absolutely fantastic. See, I I think the Boston-Milwaukee series, like, should have been the Eastern Conference Finals. I think they're the best two teams in the East. Yeah. I think okay. another team, like if I'm wrong about the Celtics winning this series, the Bucks are definitely the team that makes it out of the East, in mm-hmm. my opinion. I agree with you on that assessment. Um, 
Yeah, Miami's the number one seed, but does that make them the best team? Not necessarily. It just says their record was the best. Right. Yeah, regular season and postseason, two different ball games. Correct. And some teams have it in the regular season and they don't in the postseason, and some vice versa. You know, you get some teams like the Atlanta Braves over in the MLB that, that get real hot at the right time, you know. So right. It goes both ways. Exactly. Um, what did you think of the Draymond Green play? Should that have been a flagrant too? Because you know that was going to come up at some point. I don't yeah. think so because I thought he, he – it looked like he was trying to catch him on his way down. And so, like, for me, it wasn't – it wasn't as flagrant, uh, for lack of a better word. Um, not enough for an ejection like that, in my opinion. I thought yeah. flagrant one would have been fine. I would have yeah. been fine. But flagrant two was too much. Yeah, I'm not a fan of Draymond Green. I Sometimes I'm act, I actually call him drama queen. <laughs> Did you get but, that from Skip Bayless? <laughs> I didn't even know Skip Bayless did that. I I don't know. I don't watch. I have no idea either. Um, looking at this play, I think this is perfectly uh, is definitely warranting of a flagrant too, because uh, it is the it is the exaggerated you know movement to actually hit him in the first place. Then it has the motion where it looks like he's trying to drag him down into the floor. Like, and I'm sorry when you have the reputation that you have. That Draymond has, yeah, you're not going to get the benefit of the doubt here. Like, if uh, I don't know, um, you know, someone of the Cavs did that. Let's say Dean Wade did that. It's a flagrant one. My boy. Yeah, it, 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 it's a flagrant one, and you don't think twice about it. But because Draymond Green has gotten into so many technical fouls and flagrant fouls, and he's been suspended in the playoffs before. He doesn't have the benefit benefit of the doubt that other guys would. So, based off of what I'm interpreting you saying, you're you think this is more of a reputation type of call? Is that not correct? necessarily. I do think that it it's one of those borderline ones. Where it's either going to be flagrant two or flagrant one, and whatever was called at the time initially is what they're going to stick with. And I think that's what we got here. The only reason it was a flagrant two, in my opinion, is because it was of his reputation. I, I, I don't think that that's called a flagrant two if it wasn't on Draymond. If there was anybody else on that roster, I think it would have been called a flagrant one. His I, reputation I, precedes him, for sure. Yeah. It, like, listen, I, I do think that it was an aggressive move by him and that he does have a history of aggressive moves like that. But it... If they would have called flagrant one initially, reviewed it and said flagrant two, like they reviewed it for a flagrant foul and saw flagrant two. You did not see them take it down back to one after the foul call the next day. You know what I mean? If they would right. have dropped it down to a flagrant one the next day, I think it would have been one thing, but they upheld the flagrant two standing. Right. You know what I mean? So it's I, I do think it's it's borderline enough that it, if it looks aggressive enough, which this did, that flagrant two is the right call, honestly. But again, I really don't care for Draymond Green, so take from that what you will. But he's someone who's done this to himself. We've seen it before with Ron Artest, who's done the exact yeah. same thing. Yeah, his Ryan. reputation precedes him, you know, and he he built it. He he's built. He dug that grave, and now he's lying in it. You know, he wanted yeah. to be this player that was an outspoken guy that played edgy and played tough and 
was willing to give the hard foul and 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 play old school like that. So yeah, he, you know, he's he's ultimately accountable for that, and, and I think that that's a result of that. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I don't have like a huge problem with the call necessarily, but I, I really thought if it would have been another player, that it wouldn't have been a flagrant two. But. Yeah. And then the play last night on Dylan Brooks with Gary Payne, I thought that was a clear flagrant foul. It was unfortunate that uh, I think Payton broke his elbow, which I have recent experience with. Uh, Ouch. Yeah, I know. Luckily, I'm out of a splint now, so don't have to worry about that. Mm -hmm. Um, But uh, it seems like there is a rivalry forming between these two teams. Maybe. Between who? Memphis and Golden State. A rivalry? Maybe. That's no. what I said. Maybe. No. No, thanks. I don't I'm gonna say, I'm gonna say I'm gonna say no. Uh, your thoughts do not intrigue me. I do not wish to subscribe to your newsletter. Um, <laughs> that, that's where I'm going with that. Uh, like listen, they played like what? A series against each other? Like this is the first time it's been competitive between these two teams in how long? Yeah, that's what I don't. Yeah, that's true. They're, it's not. They're true. not in from the same part of the country. They're not in the same division. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Fair. <laughs> so they play them like two or three times in the regular season, and a, a couple times in the postseason. And yeah, not yet. Not yet. <laughs> If they meet in the Western Conference Finals in the next two or three years in a row and they're on a collision course like the Cavs and the Warriors were, then sure. Then we can go We can go down the rivalry road then. Fair. Is that fair? Yes, that is very fair. It, it's very premature. That's where I was going with it. Just premature. Very premature. We need to let things play out a little. Okay. Let it cook. Let the series cook. Because this might be – they might sweep them the rest of the way out. You know what I mean? And then yeah. Yeah, yeah. I shouldn't have said that. Yeah. I can... those seven games and there's more hard fouls and more is said in the media, then, you know, you might be right. There might be something cooking up. But just yeah. let, it, let it cook first is what we're Yeah. Saying. Maybe I – it was an early judgment based on, like, what happened in the first two games. I see what you're saying. Reading the – Reading into it too much, basically. Just too soon, yeah. Too exactly. Soon. That's a fit. I'll accept that. Um, we got nothing else on the rundown. <laughs> no, so we cruised through it. We did. Yeah, we did. We really did cruise through it. Um, I don't know, Chirk. What do you got, man? Man, what do I got? Well, yeah. What are your thoughts? I'm, I'm, I'm looking into being a. I went to uh, visit AIW yesterday. What's that? The wrestling school. Oh, sweet. That's sports-related. Combat sports. Yeah, yeah. Well, cool. Have fun with that. But yeah. don't have anything for the show? No final thoughts? Nothing like that? Man, I just hope uh, – I just hope uh, – I don't know that the Cleveland teams, man, they just keep getting better. The Guardians, Cavs. Who's the best team in Cleveland right now? Quick, go. Browns. Okay. James. Browns. Okay. Yeah, it's the Browns. Just making sure. <laughs> all around. I was just trying to create some last-minute content there. I was seeing if one of you did that. I think we're all pretty much in, in the same spot with Browns, Cavs, Guardians in that order. 
Yeah. 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 And the monsters don't even play a role in that, but no, they don't. No. Professional sports teams is what we're referring to. Exactly. Yes. Because the monsters are not professional. They're minor league. Well, on that note, I guess if nobody has anything else, I tried there. That was a (laughs) mess. Wait, Brian, quickly. What were your thoughts on game one of Penguins Rangers last night? Miracle. That was a miracle. Uh, Showed a lot of grit, a lot of uh, toughness. Um, Penguins are a veteran team. They've been there, done that, and that's what allowed them to hang around and make that thing interesting. Um, But good Lord, they had 79 shots on Sishnerkin, and he stopped 75 of them. So the team was – we could not score on him. We scored four games – or we scored four total goals and four regular season games against the Rangers. So it's something we've struggled with all season long. I think they continue to struggle with it. Uh, awesome win. I loved it. I enjoyed every minute of it, but I think the Rangers still win this series. Yeah, I agree with you. I think New York still wins the series. Um, I was surprised that Washington was able to go into. Oh, that's hot. No, that's enough hot talk. We're done with hot. Fair talk. enough. Yeah. <laughs> Anybody <laughs> have anything else? <laughs> we exceeded our 90 seconds. Of hot talk. <laughs> we have to cut it off there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I, I, I just—I don't think any of us are particularly watching the NHL playoffs very heavily outside of me and you watching the Penguins. So yes, yeah, we'll. Leave well, them. I watch every other series as well. <laughs> Somehow you watch eighteen games a night on on three different <laughs> devices, but you do it. It's funsies. All right, guys. Well, all right. Fun, I guess. Yeah. So we will see you next week. Like and the day schedule gets released.